Hi, I'm Heather. And I'm Rhonda. And we're two wine-loving, psych-nerd, long-distance friends who host the podcast Wine Mind, where each episode we break down a psychology topic while getting buzzed on a bottle of wine. And sometimes we make up words. Have you ever poured back a few glasses of wine and found yourself wondering, why is wine so awesome? Why is it so hard to make friends in adulthood? What's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? If so, then Wine Mind is the podcast for you. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And check out our website at winemindpodcast.com. You can also find us on the social medias as at winemindpodcast. So uncork a bottle and join us. Cheers! Cheers. Mommy, this is a day content that is not suitable for kids like me. Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Plime and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. <gasps> Yay. Yay! Hello! Hello! I feel like I haven't seen you in like 80 years. Yeah, but it was like, I don't know, four hours? Four hours. <laughs> also, Five. I really do appreciate the irony of how we are doing all of this, where I am at your house physically, we are together in the same location, and then we separate so that we can record (laughs) our podcast. Right. It makes perfect sense. But anyway, that's totally off topic for this podcast. (laughs) That's okay. Do you know what's on topic? What? The fact that Crime Crazy is sponsored by (laughs) Dave Hatt and Seb Bryce. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thanks. If you don't want to be awesome like Dave and Seb, you should visit our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crimecrazypod or just search for Crime Crazy Podcast. All patrons get a monthly shout out. And if you would like to receive a shout out in another way, what could you do, Erin? Well, you could leave a review, especially on iTunes and especially a five star review. We like those the best. And you know what? What? We have. What? We have five star reviews. Not one. Not a review? Not two. What? But three. That was stunned silence, but it doesn't translate very well in the podcast medium. It doesn't. So if you could, everybody go look up a picture of Erin and uh-huh. then imagine her in the stunned silence face. Right. Well, just look up a picture of me and you know how it's not making noise. That's what that was. <laughs> exactly. So we have a review from LJ Bygones Podcast. Thank you. We also have a review from Sierra underscore 04. Thank you. And one from Eloise76. Thank you. We feel so loved this week. Holy cow, guys. Right? Was it in celebration of St. Patrick's Day? Is that why we got so many reviews? No, maybe so. Maybe so. They were like, it's St. Patrick's Day. I want to listen to an awesome podcast. And then I love it so much. I'm going to write about it. Excellent. Right? Maybe we should make that like a St. Patrick's Day tradition. tradition. Mm-hmm. Just everyone listens to Crime Crazy and reviews it. Yeah, I can get behind that. I, I think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Man, if we'd thought about it, I did have 10 people captive at my house on St. Patrick's oh, Day. Oh, man, we could have in forced food them. comas. <laughs> in food and liquor comas. <laughs> I think that was mostly me. <laughs> uh, no, I was right there, right along oh, with no, you. That's true. You were you were there too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, if you want to find more about Crime Crazy and uh, hope that the next time Aaron and Diana are drunk in the same room that they take a picture together, you should follow us on the social medias at Crime Crazy Pod or our website at crimecrazypodcast.com. All right. So Diana. Aaron. Did you learn anything this week? So it did. And you're probably going to laugh at it um, because it wasn't like earth shattering or anything. But I was on the phone with a college friend of mine, a boss, and he mentioned this to me. And I, my first thought was, huh, no way. 
And then it was the thing I learned. Wait a second. So that is actually the beginning of almost every story every week when you tell us what you've learned. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, almost every time. It's they said something and I thought, that's not true. So then I Googled it and it was. That is well, like, we're just going to record that and play it at the beginning every week. <laughs> right, maybe, yeah. Well, he's a reliable source and I think maybe a listener. Um, <laughs> but So I did look it up just because I wanted more information, but I thought that was weird. We were talking about uh, the company that you and I work for going public last year. I was telling right. him a little bit about that. And he said, well, did you know that Levi Strauss is going public this week? Wait. And I was like, Right. Levi Strauss has been around since like the 20s. Oh, much farther back than that. They have been around for 166 years. Really? I thought. Yeah. No, they were Gold Rush adjacent. So, yeah, it is 166 years old. It went public for a hot minute in the 70s, but it's been privately owned for the last 34 years. Now, because the company's gone public, the descendants of the original founders can now cash out some of their holdings. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're expected to sell about 21 million shares, but they'll still have about 81% of the voting power. Wow. Yeah. So again, like not earth shattering or anything, but just like, huh, no shit. Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, yeah. Yeah. Like, it doesn't totally affect me, but at the same time, I find that really fascinating. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Wow. My so thing that is, is what I learned. Very different that I learned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what did you learn? I learned about prison and chicken shit. <laughs> like separately or together? Together. Ew. I know. Okay, so I learned about this prison in Thailand that is, it's no longer a prison. Now it's just like a tourist place. Um, but it was for many, like many, 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 many years. No, it's just like a an attraction. You can go tour it. And okay. it was called, oh God, this is going to be awful. Cook Ki Kai. You know, we know somebody who speaks Thai. Well, it isn't me. <laughs> so no, but I, I feel like she would have helped us. Except that I learned it today, so there was not oh, enough time. <laughs> um, and and that translates to well, if you say it correctly, it translates to chicken poop prison. Oh my gosh! And so what it is is a two story building, and the bottom story was the prison. And then the <gasps> second floor had a grated floor, so like little vents and things in it. Oh, and that's no. where the chickens lived. So that if you were a prisoner in this prison, you were constantly being shat upon by chickens. Like, and I've owned chickens. It's constant. That is like a whole other level of prison. Right? Apparently, Thailand is like the very worst place in the world to be imprisoned. Like, you do not fuck up in Thailand. And and that was just one, one example of really bad, literal shit that can happen to you if you fuck up in Thailand. So now I have an additional concern. That I don't want to go to Thailand? Well, we're planning to go to, like... I am planning to go to Thailand in six years. Don't fuck up while you're there. So I did manage to make it through three weeks in Singapore without causing an international incident. So maybe I can do this. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, so you can't get put in that prison now because it's just a tourist spot. That's true. But what was the reasoning behind that? Like just being shitty? (laughs) I, Literally, I think I guess. so. It, that's what it seemed to be because, I mean, I'm sure actually it was not a terrible way to raise the chickens because you are not, they're not wandering around in their own feces. They are um, staying dry and clean and healthy. So that's great and all. And presumably right. you could then, I guess, force the prisoners to clean up the chicken poop. But I think it was just torture. I've been on 
industrial chicken farms like they used to be customers. Yeah. And like I can get the graded floors and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I can see where there would be some good like advantages to both chickens and prisoners to have that kind of multi-use facility. Well, right. But and then, then the prisoners somebody took the step the chickens. Right. But then somebody took a step further and was like, let's put the chickens above the prisoners. Right. <laughs> because even if the chickens were below, the stench of those fucking places. Oh, yeah. Is enough torture. Chickens are no joke. No, they're deliciously horrible little creatures. Yeah. <laughs> but like that is an extra step of fucking. I don't even know what. No, it's terrible is what it is oh my gosh yeah that is crazy all right so so no fucking up in thailand no fucking up in thailand if you please i will do what i can <laughs> all right all right so that in no way relates to my story though i have no i cannot draw a connection from either of those things to my story today can you yeah um no not in less than like six degrees of kevin bacon (laughs) fair (laughs) all right is it my turn to go first sure go for it all right so last week on crime crazy i told the story of alice silverthorne de jonze de jonze de jonze who definitely shot at least one lover, maybe two, and was an overall problem on three continents. Yes. (laughs) That got me to thinking about other rich ladies committing crimes, which got me to thinking (laughs) that I don't really know anything about the most famous rich lady of crime, Uh Patty Hearst. Ooh, I'm excited. (laughs) I am too. So I want to preface this by saying this is... Deeply abbreviated. I was going to say that it cannot possibly be done in one episode. No, it no, there is so much here. So this is deeply, deeply, deeply abbreviated. And it's also kind of disappointing, which I'll talk about a little bit at the end. Because there's no real resolution to this. Mm -hmm. So Patricia Campbell Hurst was born on February 20th, 1954 in San Francisco, California. She was the third of her parents' five daughters. That is so many girls. Yes, that is so many girls. Yep. And the granddaughter of the original media mogul, William Randolph Hearst, who, of course, is the inspiration for Citizen Kane. Of course. Of course. She was educated at private schools in California and began attending college at Menlo College in Atherton before transferring to the University of California, Berkeley. In 1974, Patty was a sophomore studying art history and living with her fiancé, Stephen Weed. Can we take a moment to reflect on how scandalous that must have been? Yeah. Also, I was enjoying his name. Did you say his name was Stephen Weed? Totally. Nice. (laughs) Exactly. Around nine o'clock in the evening on February 9th, 1974, Patty was at her apartment in Berkeley when there was a knock at the door and a group of people with guns drawn burst in. Ooh. They beat up Stephen, grabbed Patty, threw her in the back of their car and sped off. Neighbors came out to the street to see what was going on, but they were forced back inside as the kidnappers were firing their guns for cover. It soon came out that Patty had been kidnapped by the United Federated Forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army, known mostly as the Symbionese Liberation Army, or the SLA. Which still was not a good name. Which was still a very long name. The SLA was founded by Donald DeFries after he escaped from Soledad Prison and was based upon his manifesto, Symbionese Liberation Army Declaration of Revolutionary War and the Symbionese Program. <laughs> also not a good name. <laughs> no. DeFries wanted all races, genders, and ages to fight together in a left-wing united front and live together peacefully. So uh, they were anti-capitalist, anti-racist, anti-homophobic, like all of the antis. Okay. But the SLA itself wasn't real peaceful. 
Before the Hearst kidnapping, they had planned and carried out the murder of Marcus Foster, who is the superintendent of Oakland schools, because he planned to introduce identification cards into the schools, and the SLA thought that was fascist. What kind of identification cards? Just like a student ID or like... Yeah, like a student ID. Okay, so that they need to like just take a chill pill for a sec. You're a fascist. I am a fascist. I just like to be able to identify the students in my room. Right. So it turned out that Foster was also opposed to the ID cards in schools. And the plan that he had proposed to the school board was much watered down from previous proposals. I Um, just don't see why it should be a problem to have an ID card in a school. Fascist. If it, I just know I just am not getting it, Diana. <laughs> I, I don't either. But <laughs> fascist. Apparently, we're both fascists. <laughs> Two of the people involved, Joseph Ramiro and Russell Little, were convicted of that murder. Little's conviction was eventually overturned. Ramiro is still in prison at San Quentin. Wow. It was in response to the arrest of Ramiro and Little that the SLA began planning their next action. They decided that they needed to kidnap somebody very important to help them negotiate the release of their friends. Because that's how that works. Um, that It isn't, but okay. Give it a shot. Right. Thinking yeah, outside yeah, yeah. the box. Yes, definitely. So they picked Patty Hearst. But why Patty Hearst? There were really two reasons. She was loaded and she was local. Oh, that's really all you need. Yeah. She and Stephen's engagement announcement had listed their home address. What? It was in the neighborhood that the SLA was operating out of. Um, One of the things that was mentioned in one of the articles I read is that although Patty Hearst was the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, and they were definitely real loaded, like her dad wasn't really involved in the business. They weren't like instrumental in that empire, none of that stuff. But the SLA was smart enough to know they're taking the granddaughter of the biggest media company mm-hmm. that we have, or, you know, maybe not at that time, but still everybody knows the Hearst name even now. Right. It, they can't ignore it. No, absolutely not. Their plan was carried out on February 9th, 1974, less than a year after DeFreeze had escaped from prison. He moves fast. Yeah, no kidding. It's hardly enough time to plan. I know, especially a big job like that. Right. While you're busy murdering somebody else. Right. When the SLA claimed responsibility for the kidnapping, they said that they'd release Patty when Ramiro and Little were released. But that's not something the regular human being can do. Right. (laughs) So the kidnappers changed their demands. They wanted a ransom, but in the form of food distribution. They requested that the Hearst family distribute distribute $70 worth of food to every person in California. And that would have cost about $400 million. I was going to say that. Oh, my God. Even the Hearsts didn't have. But Patty's father was able to take out a loan, and he arranged the immediate donation of $2 million worth of food, which was distributed out of four different centers. The operation was shut down, however, because there was violence at one of the distribution centers. More people than expected showed up. The volunteers panicked, started throwing food out into the crowd, and people were injured. After that, the SLA demanded that a community organization called Wester Edition Project Area Committee... Again, a terrible name. (laughs) That doesn't even Wapik. Wapik. A good one. So anyway, Wapik. I don't think they're called that. Was put in charge of the food food distribution, and a hundred thousand bags of food were handed out at sixteen locations between February twenty sixth, which was about two weeks after the kidnapping, and the end of March of that year. Which again, so fast. Yeah. They were really getting shit done. I was going to say, they're GSD and all over the place. <laughs> they really you are. You should hire them. Oh, wait. I, yeah, n- not so much. <laughs> I mean, maybe the, maybe the Western Edition Project Area Committee people, they seemed like they were getting it done. The the SLA people, not so much. Not, not so much. So what's going on with Patty all this time? Was she released? We all know that she was not. <laughs> That's not how this story ends. We all know it. Right. But this is where it gets a bit murky. The SLA was a very small organization, 
at its peak, it only had 22 members. And at the point that we're talking about now, during the Hearst kidnapping, there were about a dozen members. And they were moving around from safe house to safe house in the Bay Area. And according to her later testimony, Patty was locked in a closet and abused emotionally, physically, and sexually. She says that she was constantly exposed to the SLA beliefs and forced to record messages that she knew would hurt her family. Mm-hmm. DeFries told her that the war council was still deciding whether to kill her or whether to let her stay with the group and said that she, quote, better start thinking about that as a possibility. Uh-huh. Under those circumstances, according to Patty, she said, I accommodated my thoughts to coincide with theirs. Okay. So classic Stockholm syndrome, right? Right. Maybe. On April 3rd, two months after Patty was kidnapped, a videotape was released. Patty declared that her name was now Tanya and that she had joined in the SLA's fight. Mm-hmm. On April 15th, 1974, Tanya and other members of the SLA robbed the Hibernia Bank in San Francisco. During the robbery, two men who entered the bank were shot and wounded. The group got away with over $10,000 and escaped into waiting cars. Well, this got the FBI even more revved up about finding Patty Hearst and taking down the SLA. Now, interestingly, the FBI website has a page about the Hearst kidnapping. And they say that the operation was one of the largest, most agent-intensive searches in history. Wow. They tracked down thousands of leads, but the SLA was threatening people into not talking. They had very good operational security, and they relied on an organized network of safe houses. So the FBI wasn't really having any luck. Right. Until May 16th, which is more than a month after the robbery. In Los Angeles, two SLA members, William and Emily Harris, were almost caught as they tried to shoplift some ammo from a sporting goods store. They were spotted, and the manager, along with another employee, confronted the Harrises. And during the scuffle, Harris's pistol fell out of the waistband of his pants. Mm. In response, Patty slash Tanya, who was waiting in their van, emptied an entire magazine of an automatic carbine into the overhead storefront. The manager grabbed Harris's pistol and tried to shoot back, but Patty Tanya, using a different gun, kept shooting closer and closer to the manager, so he couldn't get any shots out. Mm-hmm. Patty Tanya and the Harrises escaped the area, uh, abandoned their van, hijacked a couple of cars, kidnapping the owners. Uh, apparently, the car that Patty Tanya... Uh, <laughs> I just love that story. Every time you say it, it sounds more and more ridiculous. <laughs> right. But according to uh, the guy that she hijacked, he was so charmed by her that he didn't want to go to the police. And even after they went to him and were like, we think that was Patty Hearst. We need your help. Like he was a little bit reluctant and he finally came clean and gave all these details. But he was just delighted by her. (laughs) Um, So they kidnapped the owners, but the getaway van was still in the sporting goods parking lot. And that van had an unpaid parking ticket in it that had the address of the SLA safe house that they were using. Oh, my God. (laughs) By the next day, the safe house was surrounded by police and a massive shootout ensued. The building went up in flames. By the end of the whole thing, six of the nine known SLA members were dead, including Donald DeFries. But Patty Hearst wasn't among them. She and the Harrises went on the lam traveling the country to escape capture. Now, again, according to the FBI website, the FBI agents were close behind. But considering that they didn't catch up with Patty or the Harrises for a year and a half, I'm going to call bullshit on that Right, one. not all that close. Yeah, not all that close. They went all over the country, um, weren't caught till they got back to California. Like, yeah. literally, I feel like they were tap dancing in the FBI's lap at that point. So while Patty Tanya was on the run, she made improvised explosive devices in an attempt to kill policemen, which failed. She was also involved in the robbery of Crocker National Bank in Carmichael, California, during which another woman was killed by the Harrises. 
Patty eventually ended up back in San Francisco, where she was arrested on September 18th, 1975. As she was being booked, she listed her occupation as Urban Gorilla. And asked her lawyers to tell everyone that I'm smiling, that I feel free and strong, and I send my greetings and love to all the sisters and brothers out there. Yikes. She was examined. Mm -hmm. There is some evidence to support her brainwashing claims. Mm -hmm. She was only 87 pounds. Now, she's tiny. She's 5'3". She's very bird-like <laughs> she's <laughs> she, like she has a very slender build but right. even on that way too low yeah there were some signs of trauma um they tested her iq it was testing much below what it had been in her pre-tanya days gotcha. there were some gaps in her memory from the pre-sla days she had nightmares she was examined by a brainwashing expert and he declared her a classic case but that's not legal defense brainwashing is not a legal defense. So acquittal on the basis of brainwashing isn't something that happens. I I feel like why? Like doesn't it so, isn't it enough of a real thing that like maybe we should consider that? Yeah. It's, so, yes. And there were a couple of quotes from some other folks that talked about this was all around Jonestown. Mm-hmm. And one of the people said, you know, if we're going to go ahead and buy the story that Jim Jones was so persuasive that he got 908 people to to kill themselves on the basis of brainwashing, why can't we believe that these people might have brainwashed Patty Hearst into doing all of these things? Right. Well, and even um, if not her specifically, just at all, that it's a possibility. Right. Right, exactly. So there are, apparently this is still an open legal question. Um, Even though this was a question that happened throughout her trials and and throughout other things, the laws around all of that have not changed substantially since the 70s. Hmm. I'm sorry, I just sounded like I knew something about our legal system. You sure did. (laughs) I read a lot yesterday. Um. It was some weeks after Patty had been released that she finally repudiated her alliance to the SLA. So again, brainwashing, really believed in it. We're never going to know. Her first lawyer was named Terrence Hallinan, and he advised her to use a defense of involuntary intoxication, claiming that the SLA had given her drugs that affected her judgment and recollection, which is probably true. Mm Mm-hmm. He was soon replaced by F. Lee Bailey, whose other greatest hits include defending Albert DeSalvo, our friend the Boston Strangler. Uh, Maybe. I'm not convinced of that one, but that's a story for a different day. (laughs) Sam Shepard and O.J. Simpson. Mm -hmm. F. Lee put up a defense of coercion or duress affecting intent at the time of offense, which was similar to the brainwashing defense that the previous lawyer said was not a bad legal defense. Right. Um, we'll get back and we'll get back into why that was maybe a better legal defense. So Patty Tanya was the only person arraigned for the Hibernian Hibernia bank robbery. And the trial began on January 15th, 1976. There were many legal shenanigans that I am not going to get into here. And evidence was introduced to both show that Patty Tanya was under duress and had been warned that anything less than enthusiastic participation would result in her death. There are also pictures from the first bank robbery that seem to show that the other SLA members had guns pointed at her during the bank robbery. So, okay. So, again... Dunno. Mm-hmm. But none of that worked. And on March 20th, 1976, Patty Hearst was convicted of bank robbery and of using a firearm during the commission of a felony. Mm-hmm. She was originally sentenced to 35 years pending a reduction at the sentencing hearing, but the original d- judge died in between there. Oh. And the new one gave her seven years. Okay. Patty did not have a great time in prison. She suffered a collapsed lung and other major health problems. For her own safety, she was held in solitary. I was going to say, was this a random medical emergency collapsed lung? Or was this a someone kicked her ass? 
No, I think it was a random medical emergency. Gotcha. I mean, whether she stayed with the SLA voluntarily or not, shit was hard. Yeah. Like, she was so underweight, you know. Yeah. Um, but she apparently had a lot of other health problems during that time. She was also charged with 11 state charges, including robbery, kidnapping, assault. She pleaded no contest to those charges, was given probation um, because that judge did not think her actions had been voluntary. Gotcha. She was granted bail while she awaited for an appeal in November of 1976 on the condition that she was protected on bond and her father hired dozens of bodyguards to keep keep track of her. Her bail was revoked about a year and a half later in May of 1978 when the appeals all failed and the Supreme Court declined to hear her case. Mm. President Jimmy Carter commuted her sentence to time served and freed her eight months before she would have been eligible for her first parole hearing. She had very stringent conditions placed upon her release, and she remained on state probation for those other state charges. Two months after the release, she married Bernard Lee Shaw, who was one of her bodyguards. They had two children together. They were married until his death in 2013. The last two SLA members were arrested in 1999 and 2002, one of them being here in St. Paul, uh, Kathy Celaya, uh, otherwise known as Mary Jane Olson. She went underground, married a guy here in St. Paul, was a nice mom, uh, and went to jail. And went to jail. As of 2000, and went to jail. Uh, as of 2017, all but one of the remaining members has been released from prison. Patty Hearst applied for a presidential pardon in 2000, and at that time, the U.S. attorney in San Francisco raised an objection to the pardon, writing, I strongly oppose the pardon application filed by Patricia Hearst. The attitude of Hearst has always been that she is a person above the law and that, based on her wealth and social position, she is not accountable for her conduct, despite the jury's verdict. You've heard of this guy. Do you know who the U.S. attorney in San Francisco was at that time? No. Robert S. Mueller III. Mm. Interesting. Felt a little bit better about things after reading that. Yeah, yeah, except that I just feel a little bit torn about the whole thing. Like, even if... Hold on. Okay. I I have more. Okay. Uh, The pardon was granted by Bill Clinton on his last day in office. And the last fun fact that I will leave you with, Patty Hearst is currently Chris Hardwick's mother-in-law. <laughs> Let's just tie the whole world in a nice pretty bow. <laughs> I had no idea it came up no. on something else. Me neither. Yeah. Wow. Apparently Chris Hardwick's been in a pickle. I, I don't know anything. I I make it my business to never know anything, actually. Yeah, pretty much. So I would need to do a lot more research before I have a real strong feel on whether I go with the brainwashing or whether I go with she really bought into it and had had a time of it for a while. I mean, I will say there's some... I don't know if it the the aspect of this isn't something she should have ever even been subjected to and only was because she was kidnapped and they couldn't get her back like that part sucks right if that had not happened surely this all would have never happened whether she was brainwashed or she decided well right and that was actually something that her I forget which lawyer it was brought up was that uh, during the bank robbery trial is everybody forgot that she had been kidnapped. Right. Like, was she a bank robber? Yes. She was in the bank with a gun holding it up. Right. However. <laughs> right. She didn't. There like, were some mitigating circumstances. Leave home here. and go hang out. Right. She didn't leave home that day and be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dye my hair. I'm going to call myself Tanya and I'm going to knock over some banks, bitches. Right. Although, if you would like to see the sassy version of this, uh, Drunk History did a story on this, and Kristen Wiig is Tanya, and it's pretty great. Well, and I guess it doesn't have to be one or the other either, right? Like, it's not a clear-cut line. There could be some she decided along with some she was 
given clearly just one side of the information and a lot of physical and mental duress. Well, in the overall message, I mean, DeFreeze was different, but the overall message was pretty good. Like, let's feed the hungry. Let's help poor people. Um, you know, they were anti-consumerist and anti-capitalist, which, you know, you can have whatever feels you want on that. But a lot of their base message was like pretty decent. And I could see where that might have appealed to a young person in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But then it was so violent and it was always violent. Like right. all of their schemes were violent. Mm-hmm. And even the way they went out, like huge, you know, hours long shootout and then the house burned to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, yeah. Uh, the um, quote that you said in the beginning about fighting for the left and living peacefully, like that as a sentence yeah. doesn't even make sense. No, no. Yeah, he was, he was a whole other story. But so, yeah, that is the very, very, very bare bones yeah. version of the Patty Hearst kidnapping. And I find it unsatisfactory. Yeah, I agree. Nobody was ever brought to justice for her kidnapping because they all died. Right. Um, You know, they weren't, you know, they were a terrorist organization. But at their peak, they had 22 people. And it feels like the response was outsized. Yeah. For what they would ever be capable of. Um, And I remember feeling that way when Kathy Celaya was arrested here in St. Paul, because that happened, I think, right after I was out of college. You know, she was part of this weird fringe organization in the 70s and was involved in some hijinks. I think she was uh, involved when when Hearst and the Harrises went on the lam. I think she helped hide them out and there was some other stuff going on. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she went into hiding. She married, I think, a doctor here in St. Paul, popped out some kids, and was a nice neighborhood mom. Right. I mean, we all got up to shit in our 20s that wasn't great. Hers was probably worse than most. But did she deserve it, it to go to prison? worse than mine, for example. But Well, right. I didn't get into that many shenanigans. But... <laughs> <laughs> but there's something to be said for she was a person in her time that did some things mm-hmm. that moved on. Yeah. I don't know, but then there are definitely other people that I would want to hold accountable for their crimes in their twenties, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it sort of goes to that, that whole, like, what is the point of throwing someone in jail? If it's right. for reform, then she's done that. So there is no point. Right. If it's for if revenge. It's, well, in prison is only revenge. I mean, it is because they, yeah, they don't bother with we, the. Right. But again, like you said, let's look at this woman. Is she liable to join some kind of fringe group and go, go blow shit up? No, she's got a family and a life. All this did was make her unwelcome in her community. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. There's no easy answer. No, there's not. And and nobody figured it out for us in this case either. So like, screw y'all. Thanks a lot. No. And I think there's <laughs> still a lot of things we're missing because everybody died. Right. Like the entire organization was effectively taken out in that fire. Right. Right. You'll never know all the, all the no, pieces. No, we'll never know everything. Well, I mean, thanks a lot for an unsatisfactory, frustrating, unsolved, essentially. Way yeah, to go, Diana. Not unsolved. We, we know who did it. Well, but, but <laughs> still, like, I feel like it's the important parts are still unsolved. Like, whose fault is it and should she have been held accountable and what is the right answer with the justice system and well and how do you ever know you know with defenses like brainwashing and even you know temporary insanity and mental illness and all that kind of thing all that shit's so variable yeah you know maybe she was just generally a susceptible person. She was only 19. Right. 
and you know, I would be willing to bet a bit sheltered, what with the private girls' schools and all. Yes. And it was a very volatile time. One of the articles I read talked about how, you know, there was an average of like a thousand bombings per year in the United States during the 70s. It was just a crazy fucking time. And there were all of these weird little terrorist organizations getting up to shit, especially in California, especially in the Bay Area. Yeah. You know, it was just a fucking hotbed of all sorts of craziness. Well, and so that also makes it normalized to some extent. Right. So, yeah, I'm real glad I didn't live through a lot of the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a terrifying time. Yeah. I didn't live through any of the 70s. Well, you know, I picked a story with an ending. So, okay, good. Cool Somebody you. had to. I, I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me. All right. Um, also, I need to tell everybody that you and I went to a craft show today. Yes. And we're walking through the craft show and Aaron says to me, my story connects on two threads. I just figured out the second one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, the second thread. So, hmm. All right. The first thread. I'll just tell you what they are and then you'll hear them as they come along. <laughs> Okay. The thread I sought out was bad behavior in a courtroom. Because Ooh. last week, my woman had to be removed from her own trial for trying to demonstrate how she murdered the men that she murdered and fed to her pigs enthusiastically and frequently during the trial. So can I tell you that the picture that you posted of that woman freaked me out a little bit? She because she looks very much like my great aunt Lorraine. Oh, no. <laughs> I looked at like, oh, God, she looks so familiar. Why? Oh, she looks like Lorraine. <laughs> so, there, if you look up pictures of her, though, if you Google her, like, she had some very insanely distinctive looks at different parts of, like, her trial and her um, imprisonment. Mm -hmm. Um. And I had to look so carefully at all the pictures to see if I was like pulling pictures from a movie adaptation or like if it was the same woman because they're very, very different pictures. And it's oh, just wow. um, I, a lot of her hair and then like just how crazy she started to look like her face just got like evil and scary in bad ways. Yeah. So anyway. She had um, bad behavior in the courtroom. She did have bad behavior in the courtroom. She also was a lot more put together looking than I thought she would be. Uh, yeah, in the picture I posted. Look up the other pictures. I'm telling you, this is <laughs> this is a good exercise in Googling. <laughs> yeah. It is worth it. Yes. Um, and so I found another case where there was some bad behavior in the courtroom. But of course, that'll come at the end because courtroom generally does. Um, and then as we were walking around and I was thinking about my story and like what sort of teaser I was going to give you, because I always do kind of like to do that. I, I realized this is also a serial killer, which is maybe Ooh. the more logical and obvious connection between the two <laughs> stories. <laughs> but anyway. All right. So my story, the criminal, the bad guy is Michael Madison. And Michael Madison lived in Cleveland, Ohio. And in October of 2001, police heard screams for help. And an 18-year-old girl had been grabbed and dragged down the street. Luckily, there were police close at hand. So the man who grabbed her threw her behind a house, I think sort of like down an alley behind a house. And he was about to rape her when the police caught up and prevented oh, no. her from getting hurt. Um, they arrested him. He was tried, sentenced to four years in prison, a program for sex offenders, and put on the sex offender registry. So that's great. <laughs> and then, Good stuff, yeah. Then nobody heard anything for a while, right? So that was 2001. In July of 2013... A man called the police because there was a terrible smell coming from his neighbor's garage. Oh, 
Oh, that's never good. And he told the police he had had some run-ins with this guy over a car that had been blocking a trash can or a driveway or a sidewalk or something. And he said that this this neighbor, he was really concerned because he knew he was known to have had lots of conflicts with different girls. And that whenever the guy got really upset, he would get really loud. He said you could hear him like two blocks away. Impressive. Right? So the police went to the house with the smell, knocked on the door definite smell which gave them cause to search a little bit and inside the garage they found the body of a woman wrapped inside plastic garbage bag sealed with tape so like she's about to be thrown out a truck on the side of the road perhaps (laughs) and and that is what all of those garbage bags alongside of the road are they certainly aren't leaves that people have raked up Certainly not. No. Body parts, every one of them. Every one of them, yep. So they uh, continued to search. They brought in a lot more people. And actually, a really significant number of volunteers came to help search as well. And they found two more bodies, both of them also wrapped in bags sealed with tape, both of them also women. One of them was in the basement of an abandoned house that was like next door or catty corner. The other one was in a backyard or like a, a field, like a lot. Like, just hanging out? Yeah, and it's plastic bags. It was like an overgrown field, but right, yeah. but no, like he, not yeah. in a shed or under some no. rocks or buried or any of that? No. Just hanging out? Just hanging out. Wow. Yeah. So all three of them were African-American women, and they were all found within 250 yards of Madison's house. So he kept them pretty oh close by. Yeah. So lazy. Yeah, right? <laughs> so lazy. He's not a terribly big dude. It may have been very challenging for him to move these bodies. I'm not sure. Um, but because the decomp was so bad, it took quite a while to identify all of the bodies. And they ended up having to use fingerprints, dental records, DNA, and even to put a request in the newspaper for information about one of the girls who had a red, ta- a red star tattooed on her and the name Jean. They were finally oh, wow. able to identify the three women. And this part, I it's probably a coincidence, but like I want it to be something else. Um, but the three women were, and I'm gonna mess up their names because they're they're kind of strange. Um Sherelda Terry, who was 18 years old, Shatisha Sheely, who was 28 years old, and Angela Deskins, is- who was 38 years old. There's so many S's. It is so many S's. But, <laughs> it's but so hard. They're ages, 18, 28, 38. They're all a decade apart. Huh. Exactly a decade apart. I just think that's very strange because I feel like a serial killer has a type. And he right. his, he did in a, little, a way. I mean, they were all women. They were all black. Um, They it didn't talk a whole lot about like them personally like whether they were of the same socioeconomic class or like similar professions or education levels or any of that but um did they know each other did they know each other it didn't really talk about any of that just they had gone missing but i just thought it was very interesting that they were like all a decade apart right because that's a big spread right like, like you said people have a type and that's 20 years that's a large range right one of them is a child and one of them has grown children i I don't know that she does but like you know she's in that part of her life when like her kids are grown up or she might have an 18 year old you know that's not unreasonable i had a four-year-old when i was 38 (laughs) i mean i will have a five-year-old when i'm 38 so yeah yeah. But still, I will also have a 22-year-old at that point. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And they weren't killed in that order. So when they started really looking at the bodies, they found two of the three had been strangled with a rope or a cord of some kind. The third one quite possibly had as well, but the decomp was such that they couldn't determine. Um, okay. At least one of them had been raped. They believed that Sheely had been killed in October of 2012, so she was the 28-year-old, um, that in October, or sorry, that Deskins was May of 2013, so that was the 38-year-old, and that Terry, the youngest, the 18-year-old, had been killed that month in July of 2013. Escalation. Um, well, yeah, with the time, absolutely, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I, it doesn't, like, that doesn't really explain the 
28, 38, 18. No, age. that's so like weird. It, it, it has to be opportunistic. I don't know. Um, so on July 19th, the police arrested Madison, who was 35 at the time, for kidnapping, rape, and murder. He waived his right to a prelim- preliminary hearing, and they set bail at $6 million. Wow. So then police started getting tips and stories from other women who said... Some of them said, well, all of them said that he was violent, that he was unpredictable, that they were scared of him, that he was mean um, and abusive. Some of them said that they had been in his house and had managed to escape, but they'd never reported it. And now that he'd been arrested, they felt like they were safe enough to do it and that they were obligated to like tell their stories about being trapped in his house and feeling threatened. Yeah. So he was indicted on 14 counts. Two counts oh, of aggravated boy. murder for each victim. I know nothing about the legal system, so that makes no sense mathematically, but whatever. I, I'm also not a doctorologist, but my understanding is you can usually only murder people once. Right. I mean, unless you murder them and bring them back and murder them again, does that count as twice? Or is the first one attempted murder because they didn't die? But they did die. But that's not... Well, then I think we have just a whole bigger philosophical and theological discussion if people are bringing people back from the dead like that's outside of the legal system even (laughs) it's also not what happened here so okay (laughs) so yeah two counts aggravated murder as far as we know that's right for each victim three counts of kidnapping three counts of gross abuse of a corpse one count of rape because they could only prove one one count of weapon possession by an ex-convict So the entire trial lasted from beginning of April to beginning of May 2014. And during that time, the defense didn't bother to claim that Madison was innocent of the crimes. Like there was just too much evidence. But instead, they were really concerned with keeping him off death row, mostly by talking about how he got to be the way he was. Um, And when he was younger, his his mother was a drug addict. She was abusive. He had a horrible childhood. He was constantly scared, didn't have enough to eat. I mean, he had a really shitty, shitty childhood. Mm-hmm. The jury did not feel like that was enough of an excuse to rape and murder multiple women. And so they convicted Fair. him on all counts and recommended the death penalty. So at that point, the judge had the option of agreeing with the death penalty and sentencing him to death or to, um, I guess it would be commute it down basically to decide that he was not going to have the death penalty that he would have you know three life in prison sentences or mm-hmm. whatever uh she went with their recommendation and sentenced him to death wow so then it was time for the victim impact statement and the 18 year old terry her father came up to give a statement in front of the court and when he finished reading his statement of course he was heartbroken because he lost his child to this horrible yeah. person um, he looked at Madison and Madison gave him a malicious and like sarcastic evil smile. So Ugh. Terry lost his shit. He dove at Madison trying to pummel him. Madison and his lawyers scrambled out of the way as fast as they could. He was almost immediately restrained by the deputies. Didn't sound like he got in any satisfying amount of hits. That's Not that I condone it, but at the same time, yeah, that's really too bad. <laughs> um, no, I don't condone violence. And yet. Most of the time. Right. So um, they did take him away. They took Terry away. And uh, one of the articles I was reading said it wasn't immediately clear where, but it sort of implied that like they took him away to cool off. He didn't end up in trouble for this, which I think mm-hmm. is only fair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So here's sort of the bad part. Well, I, I guess it kind of depends. Like, I am... Wait, this is the bad part? Well, no, I mean just sort of the unsatisfying part. Um, not a fan of the death penalty. I do think this guy's a piece no. of shit. Yes. Um, and my understanding after watching a few episodes of a Netflix documentary series (laughs) (laughs) is that death row is far preferable to a lot of maximum security situations in prisons 
especially in men's prisons, that you get treated a lot better. You have a lot more freedom. Um, people are a lot kinder. You, you're allowed more things and, and more time and space and going outside and like it just seems like Mm -hmm. kind of an upgrade which sucks because that's where this guy is going to live for the rest of his life but he has years and years and years and years of appeals and in addition ohio doesn't have any of the drugs that you need to kill people by lethal injection and so in 2018, they were not able to carry out the scheduled lethal injections where all of the appeals had been used up and the date had been set because they just didn't physically have the drugs to do it. And right, there's been a huge shortage. Right. And now they're not sure they're going to be able to do any this year either. So it could be that he lives out a long and relatively speaking comfortable life on death row instead of a hopefully much shittier life in general population or isolation in a maximum security prison where hopefully someone would feel like that girl that was 18 was enough of a child that they would kick his ass daily. But if Ohio repealed the death penalty because purely logistically they can't carry any of it out, he will be right back in gen pop. It's true. So we could have a couple of I mean, we could have a definite good come out of it and a potential ass kicking. Right. Actually, probably a lot of potential ass kickings. Well, and I mean, if we're just making generalizations based on a Netflix documentary, which I totally Mm -hmm. am, um, (laughs) they, they did talk about there were prisoners even there who were not treated well by the other inmates because of the things they had done. And it was mostly like child molesters, which I feel like this guy fits. I know technically, legally not, but I feel like that counts. That's two 18-year-olds, one he tried to rape and one he succeeded in raping and murdering. And I think there's also a segment of prison population that's not okay with violence against women. Right. So, Well, especially random women. It's not like it was his wife who'd abused him for 40 years and he snapped. Right. It... It's some girl he brought over so that he could right. kill her. He's a sexual predator. I mean... He is. I'm guessing this. there was a sexual component to this. I mean, at least one of them he raped, and he had a history of rape, and he, like, he'd been caught. He was on the registry. Like, Right. We know he's into that. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Right? So... There was some courtroom bad behavior, although this was Mm -hmm. more like, it's like when you're watching Criminal Minds or something and that happens in the courtroom and you're like, man, can you guys just walk a little slower while you go over there to pull him off the bad guy? (laughs) Like, really, do you have to be that enthusiastic for stopping this fight? Yeah. But then also, yeah, he definitely murdered multiple people. So Yeah. And put their bodies in plastic bags. I mean, we could make this a really granular kind of string. <laughs> <laughs> really good. <laughs> so. <sighs> so, yeah. That's what I know this week. Yeah. I think that's good, good um, stuff to know. Uh, well, you know, sometimes I do find it coming in handy. Like when you want to make other people not talk to you and you just start. Yeah, no, actually, that's pretty pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much the (laughs) whole. That is handy. Well, I mean, um, uh, I got out of some handcuffs the other day. (laughs) Had nothing to do with this and everything to do with the fact that they were fake handcuffs that Tobin put on me. But Oh, so you're not ending up on this week's episode. I am not. Well, no, I am. I mean, I'm on yes, every episode. Because you're a host. <laughs> like, I'm not doing this by myself talking about how you ended up on this week's episode. No. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not honestly sure if I would give you preemptive permission to podcast should I get arrested for something. Oh, we might need to have a talk about all this just in case. Just in case. Well, no, we're not because we're not ending up on next week's episode. We are, because we're going to record it together. Okay. <laughs> smarty pants, smarty pants. I want to talk about somebody else who is not on this week's episode, but is Ooh. because I'm going to talk about her. Okay. So this week for my podcast listening and reviewing, 
I know I've already mm-hmm. shouted this person out, and she was a guest on one of our episodes while you were out, actually. Erica Ooh. from Customers Also Watched. But this week, I finally got around to like listening and thoroughly enjoying and then leaving a glowing review for her. Um, oh my God, Diana, it's so good. Totally, <laughs> totally worth the listen. I do think there's probably some value to watching. I don't know what the what the routine should be. But okay, so the I, I've told you the premise before and we talked about it too, but like she watches a bad video, right? And it's mm-hmm. always one that has a thread. It's the one that was like at the bottom, customers also watched recommendations on, I forget if she's doing Netflix. I think it's Amazon Prime. And, and then so she has to choose from there and she watches one and she usually watches it with some friends and they talk about it. Okay, mm-hmm. so she doesn't intentionally seek out bad ones, but I feel like you can only watch two or three videos before you get in that black hole of bad, right. and that is where she is. So awesome. I listened to to one of those episodes and just them going through and talking about it, it was about Leprechaun, um, one of the Leprechaun movies. Apparently, there's a series. Oh, man, <laughs> I saw the f- well. We tried to watch the first one. Uh-huh. So fucking terrible. Yes, that is how it sounded. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. But to listen to them talk about it was very enjoyable. So I don't know if it's one of those like, you need to watch the movie and then listen to the episode, or you need to listen to the episode and then watch the movie so that you can appreciate what you just heard. Or if it's a, let her bite the bullet and like take this punishment for you and you just listen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> but it was hilarious. It was very well produced. It was, they're very clever and totally totally worth a listen um and the leprechaun episode i listened to actually was it was a shorter one it was a minisode so it was mm-hmm. um it was a good like if you just want to test it out it was like 20 minutes long but then you'll have to listen to all the rest of them because it was so good <laughs> because we love it right so awesome so shout out to erica you're awesome, and I loved your podcast. And I'm sorry it took me weeks and weeks to actually listen to it. <laughs> but I had to finish binge mode. So. Yes. Uh, so I listened to a new podcast this week. You did? I wasn't going to ask you because I didn't know <laughs> did. if you did. I did. Um, so this week, and I've only listened to a couple of episodes, um, but I started listening to The Story Must Be Told. Okay. And it's uh, two comedians, Andrew Short and Reed Failer, and they do kind of weird short stories, but in the format of a weird church service. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I am so intrigued. I'm not even sure I know what that means. So I'm not sure I know either yet. (laughs) Because I've only listened to a couple of episodes. Um. But one, kind of the the sermon story was about a guy who was desperate for a job, and he went on this job interview, and it turned out that the job was fucking a gorilla. (laughs) Uh, 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 What? Right. And they're all kind of like that. So, I mean, not all gorilla fucking. But but all that kind of level of insanity. Kind of... Yeah, exactly. And then packaged in kind of a crazy package. So uh, Andrew Short and Reed Failer do this. I know them from some other podcasts and stuff that they've done. They also are part of a, they've done a web series. Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's really funny. Um, And then they're also part of the Undone Sweaters, which is a Weezer tribute band. And they've got some videos on that that's pretty funny. And lots of other folks from, if you like any of the LPN podcasts, Mm -hmm. do guest spots on that. So the story must be told. Very funny. This story must be told. And I've definitely been thinking about that story for a few days. (laughs) And so would you take a job as a gorilla fucker? So the interesting part was that there was a really big deal that the protagonist was married because the that's not the issue with no it apparently it was because like the robo process that happened to him getting the job they kept saying are you married and he had to lie about it because they what they kept saying was married men can't 
like married men can't accept the job or married men don't do well with the job or something like that. And he's like, I'm fucking desperate. I'll have $5,000 by the end of the day, blah, blah, blah. And then it gets all the way into there. And it doesn't, things don't go well. Things do not go well. I, I already concur having never heard this. <laughs> that is yeah. really upsetting. <laughs> It is it it is upsetting, but it was funny. It, but I've been thinking about it all week. <laughs> like, you know? It is stuck in your head. I can't it help really but think you kind of deserve it. Oh, hundred percent. I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> um, so if you're up for a weird time, that is my recommendation I mean, I, for the week. I do also like a weird time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Hooray! New podcasts. Yay. I will link both of them in our show notes. And we can give them some shout outs as well. Um, All right. Well, so Diana, I guess that just leaves me with one question for you. What's that? Do you have any advice for us this week? I do. You know how we always say don't end up on this week's episode? Mm -hmm. Like I still stand by that. Uh Uh-huh. But if you're going to be an asshole and murder some people, Mm -hmm. don't be so fucking lazy. (laughs) Don't leave them in the neighborhood. Don't just dump them in a field where people go. Come on, show some initiative. Get it together. Take those bodies out a bit. Out a bit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So yeah, yeah, have some fucking initiative. Yes. That is my advice for this week. I, yeah. Call your people. Call your people. And don't end up on next week's episode. (laughs) 